Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing, cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Christy McReynolds, and she'll be answering your questions on fly fishing for monster browns on streamers. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Christy a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so that you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill out the form on the right side of our homepage, and we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of our podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook and Instagram or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing and hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and let other people know about the great show we've got going on tonight. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted. It's the property of the Knowledge Crew Think. Doing business is Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Christy McReynolds about fly fishing for monster browns on streamers. Whether you want to catch your first permit in Belize, tame a giant tarpon in the Florida Keys, or wrestle a mint-bright Atlantic salmon in eastern Canada, Gill's Fly Fishing International's well-traveled booking team has the knowledge to make it happen. They consider trust to be the single most important aspect of their work. They only book locations that they know, meaning operations providing the right mix of great fishing, comfortable accommodation, and high integrity. Get in touch today to start planning your next fly fishing adventure. Visit flyfishinginternational.com or call them at 780-665-4943. Again, that's flyfishinginternational.com or call them at 780-665-4943. Before we introduce Christy, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Christy's section that says register for our free drawing. Click on that link to fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. And here's how you can win. You must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question will be something that Christy and I talk about during the show, and just submit your answer along with your name and location using the text box on our homepage. So listen closely, take good notes, type fast, and maybe you'll win a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. Our guest tonight is Christy McReynolds. Christy started fishing thanks to her father at the age of three and fly fishing by age nine. Born and raised in northeast Tennessee, fishing and fly tying has always been a highlight for Christy. In 2011, all things changed after a car crash that resulted in a hangman's fracture in her neck. The injury did not stop Christy from fishing, and it actually inspired something bigger. To combat the chronic pain and numbness, Christy found streamer fishing, boat rowing, and tying streamers, and together this proved to be the perfect therapy and rehabilitation. All of the hard work led to a fly fishing guide service called Flying Soho. Christy's goal is to allow others experience streamer fishing and positive vibes that come with it. Christy, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. You there, Christy? Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> there you are. Okay. Didn't hear you there for a second. Great to have you. We've got a, a load of questions tonight, but did you want to, we mentioned in your buyer that you had this injury and how the fly fishing had helped you recover from that. Is that something you want to share with us tonight? Sure. Yeah. yeah um, go ahead and talk heard... about what happened and how it helped you. Okay. I had a really bad car wreck. My husband and I were on vacation and first day we were at the beach in Charleston somebody hit his head on and uh, it resulted in a hangman's fracture for me and everybody else luckily walked away but the break itself wasn't the bad part it was the recovery 
and I have just been dealing since 2011 with chronic pain and cervical radiculopathy and arm and hand numbness and things such as that. I discovered that I had to do constant physical therapy to help combat my chronic pain and numbness and I got really tired of lifting weights and doing all the boring physical therapy stuff. I wanted to find something that I could do year-round and still be active and enjoy the outdoors and that's when I discovered streamer fishing. And why streamer fishing over the other types of fishing? Is it because it's more active? Yep, you have to constantly move your arms and um, basically your core of your body. It was a movement that forced me to help gain strength in my arms and coordination. And I noticed that while I did the streamer fishing, my pain would subside and I would forget all about it and it would usually just go away. It was very beneficial to to find something that helped. That's great. That's great. It's funny. I've talked to other guests about and friends about when you get out on the river, out on the lake fishing, you do tend to leave everything else behind, it seems. And I'm not talking about major injuries like yours or the issues that you have, but for many of us, it removes us from stress, from business, from family. From, oh, yeah. I can see how you can out of sight, out of mind, right? So you're focusing on something else and keeps you from thinking about or feeling that, I suppose. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, sounds like you're doing pretty good now. Is Things are better for you and you're out fishing, right? Oh, yeah. Things are have definitely improved over the years. So, yeah, it's way better. Oh, good. Good. Glad to hear it. Let's talk about your specialty. And I know it's your specialty because when I go out to – you and your husband's website, Jason, Jason McReynolds, your guiding website, there are just tons of pictures with you with big browns. <laughs> so yeah. I was going to kid you about that and say, is it the same fish, just different angles, or are all those different fish? But no, I know they're all I can, different fish. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah. No brag, just fact, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, they're different fish. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We've got some general questions about browns. And now you primarily fish the South Holston and let's see, what's the other the river Watauga. that you fish? Watauga. Right. Mm-hmm. When you, where you spend most of your time, right? Correct. Yeah. These are, are they both big rivers? I've never fished either of them, but um, in the pictures, they look like pretty good sized rivers. They are. The South Holston is about 14 miles, and Watauga is about 18 miles. In length, yeah. And yeah. are they are they slow moving rivers or is the do they vary? What's well, the water like? Fed by, they're fed by like the T V A dams. They have release schedules and they flow according to that. So they're basically both tailwaters then? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And most of the browns that are you catching them in both rivers or just the one river or Yeah, I catch them in both. In both. Okay. So we had a question from Joe in Colorado Springs, and he's asking, what's the best time of year for hunting monster browns on streamers? Is there a better time than others, or do you fish all year round? I fish year round, but I've had the best success between February to September. Those have been my favorite months to fish. Okay. Okay. This is in September, then, the when the spawning starts? There or? They usually spawn around November to January, and oh. they'll close down certain sections of the South Holston, and I definitely avoid that, and I'm really big on not fishing reds and protecting our reds, and I usually, I don't fish those sections for sure. If I do fish in the wintertime, it's usually the fast-running deep waters that the spawning does not okay. take place in. I respect the spawning. Now, are the browns in these two rivers, are they wild browns there, or are they stocked, yeah. or they're wild they're browns? wild. They quit stocking the browns several years ago, and now they only stock the full-grown rainbows intermittently, mm, and okay. they're mostly brown, I mean, brown wild. Yeah, good, good. Another question we had come in by Bob Garman in Philadelphia. He says, have you discovered any data suggesting that the big trout are more likely to be caught at certain times of the day, such as dusk, 
nighttime, dawn, certain moon phases, fall, new, or certain months of the year. We already covered the months of the year, but what about those other things, time of day? What's your experience um, with that? I have caught big ones in the middle of the day, high noon. I also enjoy fishing evenings. They seem to bite well then, too. And as far as the moon phases, I haven't really figured that out other than Maybe if the moon's full, they might feed more at night than they usually would because they can see better. And the only thing I have noticed that might affect them is the barometric pressure. That I have found that as a link. Okay, and how? I've noticed when it drops, they tend to slack off versus when it's high and steady. This okay. is just personal observation. I don't know how scientifically proven that is. <laughs> Yeah. This is my observation. Yeah, folks like you that fish every day, <laughs> personal observation means a lot. We'll take that as truth. Now, you know, a lot of us, and I've had other guests talk about, oh, if you want a big brown, you've, you really got to go out at dusk and maybe fish into the night because the big ones only come out at night. What's your take on that? I personally am not a fan of not fishing just because I can't see. When you're streamer fishing and your hooks flying through the air, I just, it's too risky to me. I don't really enjoy not fishing that much, but in the later evening, right when the sun is setting, it does tend to pick up a little bit sometimes. Okay. Do browns like warmer water than rainbows, or are they tolerant of a wide range of water temperatures? What have you found there? I'd say they're pretty sensitive. It seems like the, the river temperatures around here, when they're generating and the Watauga River stays between... 52 and 53 degrees, the heat will stress them pretty bad. So if it gets anything above like 67 degrees, it's pretty hard on them. And then that's like 75 to 77 is pretty much kills them. So they definitely gravitate towards colder water temperatures. Okay. Now, you said they were stocking rainbows in these rivers that you fish, too. Do you find that the rainbows are closer to the dam and the browns further down, or does it make any difference? Do you find either in different parts of the river, particularly? Yeah. I mean, I would say they generate more towards the dam when to get bait fish coming through, possibly, but I have caught same size of browns all throughout the river. Oh, Okay. So they don't seem to, yeah. And the rainbows are just mixed in there as well? Yeah. Okay. Do you tend to catch more browns in those rivers than rainbows? Yeah, actually I do. They're my favorite to catch. I mean, you're looking at some pretty large fish there. How fast do they grow? And what's are there a lot of those fish in the river at that size, or are you really having to hunt for them? I'm having to hunt for them big time. There's not okay. many. There's not many of the thirty plus in there. I mean, it probably takes them about four or five years to mature. I would say, and average would be like thirteen to twenty-one inches. Getting them up in the thirties is it takes them a while. What do you consider a trophy there for yourself? What's a good size fish? I mean, twenty-five plus is great. Twenty-five. <laughs> Okay, yeah. and you've caught them there at that size, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. What are the ideal conditions for them to grow big? It sounds like both those rivers have what it takes, but what's making that happen? I think, like, just good, clean water. There's lots of bait fish and different hatches that happen around here, and it's just it's really perfect for trout. That was a question we had uh, later on. Dino in Michigan, is, he was wanting to know if there's a large variety of bait fish where you yeah. are. What kind of bait fish do you have? Because I'm assuming that's what we're going to talk about as far as replicating with the streamers, right? Right. I actually try to tie my streamers. I'll look for the bait fish and I'll see what size they are and everything, but I definitely try to go by what I see. And we have plenty of gizzard shad and threadfin, alewives, dolphins, and, of course, just other little bait fish and small fry. And, and also, like, crayfish. That's, I see a lot of them, too. You, you consider crayfish part of your streamer yeah. box? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I probably would group it with a mouse pattern, too, because they're, just, they're not fish, but it's an alternative Right. Do you think these big browns are more selective than the rainbows? They seem to. I've noticed that 
stockfish of the rainbows are easier. They seem to not be as picky, and the wild browns tend to be pickier. Okay. Let me time to take a quick break here, Christy. So hang tight, and when we come back, we'll talk more about big monster browns that you're catching and get into how you catch them. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Musky Town is so much more than a musky fly shop. Whether you're a musky fly fishing guide, an experienced musky hunter, or just getting into predators on the fly, wherever life's adventures take you, Musky Town's proven lineup helps you to be more successful on the water. They have rods, reels, lines, and flies for musky, pike, and bass. Most of their flies are tied in-house, and they fish them at every possible opportunity so they know what works, why it works, and exactly what you need to put big fish in the net. Sit back, relax, enjoy legendary fly shop service, and please let them know if there's anything that they can help you with. Next time you think of Muskie, go to Muskytown. That's muskytown.com, or call them at 763-312-6012. That's muskytown.com, or call them at 763-312-6012. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Christy McReynolds about Fly fishing for monster browns on streamers. If you'd like to ask Christy a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Use that Q&A text box to send your question. Christy, I always ask my guests what's going on in your fly fishing world. I know you and your husband, Jason, have a guide service. So tell us a little bit about your guide service and what you guys do. We fly in Soho, and uh, it's a guide service that we started up together. He's the guide, of course, and uh, I tie streamers for this service and it's a great way to learn streamer fishing and get on a boat and get out there and catch some big fish and what's so the name of your business is flying soho correct and that's the name of the the website is it soho.com or flying soho.com yes and okay. we're also flying. on instagram okay Okay, so folks, if you want to find out about Jason and Christy's guide service, go to FlyingSoho, that's S-O-H-O.com, and you can check them out there. Do you, you said the best time of year was like February to September. Is that, do you provide guide service all year round or just those months? Yeah, all year round. And okay. we also do streamer fishing for hybrids and stroppers and walleye and smallmouth bass. There's lots you okay. can do with streamer fishing. Lots you can do. Yeah, I noticed there were some big stripers in there on your website. Good, folks. You're out in the East Tennessee. Check them out and uh, give them a call. That's great. We, we talked about spawning a bit, spawning season, and how you kind of lay off the fish during that time period. Is before or after the spawn a good time to fish? Or what's your experience with that? Before, they tend to be feisty, aggressive, and then it seems like after, they're hungry too. It seems like after spawning season, they're hungry and skinny. I feel sorry for them <laughs> when I do catch them because <laughs> you can tell they've been through it. Yeah, both times are pretty good. Okay. I noticed some of the big males have these kips on them. Types, I don't know what people say in different ways. When do those develop? Is that just on the larger fish? I mean, from what I observed, when I catch the larger males, they are usually prominent. I'm not really sure when they develop, but I would suspect they develop when they're sexually mature and something like that. What size fish do you see those in you know, um, when you're talking? Usually 20 plus. 20 plus, okay. Yes. Okay. Do you have more success fishing from a boat or wading when you're going after these big browns? Definitely a boat because the current's so swift. There's no way you can stand in the current around here. It's quite dangerous, actually. And uh, the current is like usually, for example, like South Holston will have a 2,000 CFS current, and the Watauga will have about 1,700 CFS. It's pretty swift current, and but it's pretty much the only way to access the good ripples and and the good spot. And streamer fishing from a bank is it's possible but I find it very difficult. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we did we had some questions coming in from Earl Waters in Homosassa, Florida about whether you could fish some pools 
without a boat, but it sounds like that it would be very difficult, what you're saying. So hopefully that, that answered your question, Earl. And the, I'm just looking, we got a couple of questions coming in here. Okay, I think, Jay, we answered your question about time of year, so hopefully that's good for you. And, oh, yeah, interesting question came in here, Christy. John in Bluff City says, can you talk about bait fish migrations and seasonality, rivers, lakes being pulled through the dams? Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. I noticed that springtime usually is when the bait fish really start coming through the dams, and that's it's usually when it gets really hot when the bait fish start coming through. The dams start, or the lakes start heating up, and the dams usually pump more water, especially during the raining seasons, and they come on through. Okay. Okay. So that's where most of the bait fish come is from the lakes above the dam and not from lower in the river then. Right. Did you say right? I didn't hear you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. The Yeah. So Richards, Scalone, Pleasanton, Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania asked, what are the options for wade anglers during water releases? It sounds like that's a iffy situation, right? I mean, not something you'd recommend, right? It doesn't generate constantly. Yeah, there's times when the generation flow is not coming through when you can wade all the way across in spots, and it's safe. But hmm. generating, I wouldn't recommend it, no. Do they fire? I know, like on the White River in Arkansas, they fire off some warning sirens or something. Do they do anything mm-hmm. like that to warn people that they're going to be releasing water? They do, but we also have a TVA website that, and app that you can download that tells you when and what times and how much flows occur. So it's important to check that out and look at the app before you go. Okay. And okay. it's very important with the flow trips because you have to figure out if you're flowing or rowing down the river with the flow, you want to know when they turn off. That way you don't get stuck on the middle of the river and stranded. That's, that'd be bad. Stranded how so? That the river goes down too far? or Yeah, it drops pretty quick. Oh, okay. Okay. When do you, you find the fishing for the large grounds is better when the river's up or when the river's down? Up. It seems like up? Okay. they're more active, yeah. I'm not big on fishing for trout in pools, if stranded in pools. I like the raging water, basically, to fish the streamers. Okay, okay. Let's talk about that more here in a minute. What about equipment? What weight rod do you recommend, and what kind of lines are you using? Are you using floating? Um, yeah, I have a non-fit rods. There, I have a I fish eight, seven, and nine weight. And it seems like, for me personally, the 9-foot 8-weight is my favorite. And I fished the Douglas Sky G, and it's uh, really light. It only weighs about 3.4 ounces. If you have a weak arm like I do, it's really easy to throw and cast. I use the triple density on triple density 357. And that just means that the sink tip will sink at 7 inches per second. And then 5 and 3 as it tapers. And the... Grain weight, I usually fish between 280 and 330 grain weight. And then and this for, is, uh, are you using sinking tip line? I didn't really understand yeah. before. Is it sinking tip or full sinking line? Yeah, it depends on the water. I'll use like intermediate sink tip for more shallow water and then full sinking for deeper water. Okay, so you're having to get down deep for these guys, huh? Yeah. And then the flow is usually so heavy, you want it to sink fast before it just pulls your line away. It's an art to that, too. Okay. What tips can you give us on that? As far as the sinking line or? Yeah, you said it it can be tough to manage there. Is there any tips you can give us about managing when the flow is high? Yeah, definitely when it's deep water and fast, full sinking, and then that's when your streamer comes into play, too. The weight of your streamer can really make a huge difference in how it flows through the water when stripping a line. 
Okay. Rick Scott and Elizabeth, he wrote in and asked, what's a good line leader setup for casting the big flies? You just told us about your line. What's your setup for the leader? I like fluorocarbon leaders. A lot of times I build my own, and they're usually about three to five feet using a perfection loop. And sometimes when the water's really clear or shallow, and depending on the species, the tippet to that varies between 0x and 20 pounds, with the 0x being like clear water, smaller fish, and then the 20 pound being bigger fish and possibly cloudier water because they, they can't see it as well. And how long is your tippet then? It varies. Sometimes like it's about two to three feet, and then other times just maybe 10, 12 inches. Oh, okay. okay. Usually if in the more shallow water and the tippet will be a little longer, and that allows it to maybe float a little more, and then the deeper water, I shorten it up usually. Okay, okay. What about cloudy versus clear water? You clear, the shorter I mean, longer based upon that? Yes, and clear water, I think, is it's pretty difficult because I think they really see you. And the cloudy water, I don't think they see you as well, so you can trick them a little bit easier. And get away with a shorter tip in cloudy water? Yeah, <laughs> and okay. a thicker. Right, right. We talked about that there are a lot of bait fish in your rivers, and you're, I'm assuming, matching those in many cases. Uh, we got a question from Don in Bozeman, Montana. He says, a white minnow streamer has been killer on one of my favorite streams. Will you please discuss all varieties of streamers, including traditional as well as those that I don't think are traditional, like woolly boogers, articulated varieties, etc., and perhaps talk about the choice of color, material, and where to fish in the water column. There's a lot there to unpack, but uh, yeah. let's just talk about the kinds of streamers that you like to use, and let's just start with that. I mean, it depends on what I'm looking for. If I'm okay. fishing just like areas I know where there's small trout, usually the upper portions of the rivers usually the smaller stuff, so single hook. I started out with the Crelex patterns. That's what I learned on, and I learned to tie first. And then it gradually, I graduated to articulated and bigger because the bigger streamers tend to filter out all the smaller fish and the big fish will come huh. after. I will definitely go bigger, but I'll catch less fish. But that's just the price you pay when you're looking for a big fish. Yeah, you're trophy hunting, right? Right. The patterns you use, are these your creations or are you using patterns designed by other people? Yeah, I've learned from patterns designed from other people. I watch videos on YouTube and learned how to tie the basics and then I just, I took it and spun it myself and invented different flies and basically I've just learned experimental. I would tie it one way and tie it another way and add and take away do stuff like that and fish it and that's how I discovered what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it and I've just have been constantly trying to think of ways to make it look realistic and so my articulations are key and I'm just trying to make them look as realistic as possible using the artificial materials okay Okay, so realism is an important part, it sounds like. Do you use any, do you favor any particular colors? And let's um, talk about that for whether it's dirty water, clean water thing too. Right. I mean, I like to resemble the bait fish, which are usually white and silver and sometimes have a blue tint to them. And other times you can make them look like the sculpins, which are the greens and browns. And then I also go for a lot of golds too, which can simulate the like smaller trout and things like that. I just, it varies, like from season into river and even sections of the river. And, and also the fish's mood. I've noticed that sometimes one hour they will be biting white and then they quit and then I'll put something else on and totally different and they'll bite it. It's a constant learning game, and they're very smart creatures, and we're always trying to outsmart them by tricking them. That's just part of the fun of it. Is How often do you switch out your flies, and what prompts you to make that decision? Sometimes I've had a one-fly day 
which is awesome. And then other times I've taught on 20 in a whole day and nothing works. Usually when I don't get a bite within the first 30 minutes to an hour, I'll switch out and then I'll try different colors. And then if that doesn't work, then I'll start messing with the sizes because you never know what they're wanting. They could be just wanting something small or something really big. And then also I think it has to do with seasons, how big they are, whatever you're fishing with, how big they are at that particular time of year. How often do you switch up? I mean, if you're not getting any action, um, say for 15 minutes every, or 30 hours? Uh, I give it a little bit, usually 30 minutes to an hour. And then if I'm not getting anything, I'll switch out. Yeah, I give it a chance. <laughs> okay. Brookie in Nashville wrote in here on the Internet and wanted to know if you have a fly tire, favorite fly tire that you use for inspiration. I know you mentioned one before the show that you were you thought highly of. Yeah. Does, yeah. Is, is there anyone you look to for inspiration? Yes. I have watched many videos on with different fly tires, and Russ Madden, he's one of my favorites. And then uh, Kelly Gallup also has some really good fly tying videos. And Andreas Anderson has some really good inspirations as well. And uh, there's just tons of fly time videos out there. It's amazing. But, yeah, there's quite the inspiration with those three. Yeah. In fact, I did a show with – I've done a few shows with Kelly Gallup. And, in fact, we did one on streamer fishing with him as well. Yeah, yeah, he's he's produced – especially he was one of the first, I think, to start in with the articulated versions. Yeah, lots of good patterns there. Cool. It's quite an invention. Yeah. For articulation, yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. Do you go to a lighter, darker color when you've got cloudy or dark water as opposed to clear, lighter water? And what direction um, do you need to go? I still have not figured that out exactly. I have tried using dark in muddy water, and, I mean, that works. But then the other day I was fishing white in muddy water, and it worked. It's a complete polar opposite. I really don't know the answer to that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, maybe, I really don't know. Maybe it's size. Maybe they feel it or hear it moving through the water the bigger it is. Or I really haven't figured that one out yet. Wish I knew. Kind of, uh, okay. I'll switch it up. Yeah, Bob Garman asked a question again about the size of streamers. What size hooks are you tying most of your streamers on? It varies. If I'm fishing for big stuff, it's usually a one aught. Two, sometimes two aught, and the articulations of a hook size smaller. And uh, sometimes I do six and eight. And uh, so they range, by the time I tie them together, they usually range from an inch and a half to up to six inches long. It just that's depends a nice on meal, what I'm huh? hunting for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six inches, that's a light, nice meal for a big brown. Yeah. Let me have time for me to take another break here, but hang tight and I'll be right back and we'll talk more about catching big brown trout. Enrico Puglisi Flies prides themselves with creating unique and one-of-a-kind flies and fly-tying material. Enrico has been experimenting with durable, synthetic, and natural materials to create flies to catch fish for more than 20 years. His innovative products, including brushes, fibers, and components, have made a major impact on the direction of saltwater fly fishing, and his methods and materials are respected worldwide. Whether you want your flies hand-tied for you or would like to tie your own, be sure to visit Enrico Puglisi Flies and browse through their online catalog. Visit epflies.com and do a little shopping today. Again, that's epflies.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Christy McReynolds about fly fishing for monster browns on streamers. If you'd like to ask Christy a question, just go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. Okay, Mark in Louisiana slash Arkansas asks, are mouse patterns effective at night? Use those. Since I don't fish a lot at night, I don't use them that much, but I have used a mouse pattern in the late evening and had pretty good success. My opinion, I think it's usually if you cast towards the bank and the actual plop in the water is what really sets them off and gets their attention. You're not fishing mice during the day? That's not a I have. Yeah. I mean, I've had some success, but not a lot. Okay, okay. Yeah, probably hard to get them to come up to take those during the daylight hours, I suppose. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, let me just look at some of the questions that we've got coming in here. One question about the South Holston and Watagu is, is from Chagonians is how difficult are those rivers to row? My husband has a memorized, so he makes it seem really easy. But yeah, when they're flowing pretty heavy, you want to make sure where um, the rocks and the obstacles may be. Sometimes there's trees that come down that get in the way. You got to know what to do in situations like that. And uh, I would recommend going with a guide before you try to tackle it just all by yourself because it can get hairy in spots and you got to know what you're doing because you can mess yeah. up really quick. Yeah, yeah. And let's see here. We're going to, we'll talk. There's some questions coming in about retrieves. Okay, yeah, I mean, here's a question. Do you ever dead drift under an indicator like a crayfish? Or how do you fish your crayfish? Let's go there. I fish with crayfish patterns just like a normal streamer. Because okay. I've noticed in real life that they can swim pretty quick. They usually are on the bottom, so you want to make sure it sinks and uh, strip on the bottom floor of the river. Which is okay. harder to do. That's, I don't do it that often. Okay, okay. But I don't use an indicator or anything like that. Do you have shad in your river? Yes. Okay. We had a question coming in here from John in Bluff City. He says, what type of patterns do you like to use to imitate shad? I my own patterns, but a really good <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> but a really good go-to is the Creelix. I mean, it's shiny, just like them. You can add a, a little bit of marabou to it and give it some bulk. And uh, it usually white and silver colors and throw in maybe a little bit of light blue, I've noticed helps. Okay. Okay. Have you, I just read an, an advertisement for Enrico Puglisi. Have you ever tried his fibers for any of your streamers? I'm sorry, what was that? I said, I just did an ad for Enrico Puglisi. I'm wondering if mm -hmm. you've tried any of his materials for your streamers. No, I have not. Okay. Okay. He's got a I lot like of it. yeah, a lot of materials for streamers, well, freshwater and saltwater fibers and so forth. Yeah, just curious. Yeah, I'm always new okay. to game for trying different fibers and trying new things. Yeah. Let's see here. Let's talk about uh, like the perfect lie for a large brown trout. What are you looking for? You're down the river floating. Where are you casting to? What are you looking for? Where are these big guys? I've found them many different places. Sometimes I'll find them right on the bank like I'll throw the streamer and it will hit the bank and immediately they'll take it and other times I've been almost to the boat with my streamer and they come up out of the bottom and one of them I caught this winter actually it she was probably about it was she was 30 inch and she came up out of the bottom using the dead drift style so I saw her and I thought she saw me so I quit and let it drop, and she took it. Mm. So they do different things in different spots. Describe how you were fishing for that, that one you were just talking about. Just typical. I, throw, I cast my line to the bank and then strip it towards the boat. And uh, I strip it in a fashion depending on depth and water flow. If the water is going really fast, depending on how hard the water is carrying the fly, I usually try to strip it with the water speed. And then if it's slow water, I usually end up stripping it a little faster just to keep it up. So it all depends okay. on depth and speed of the water. But at that time, that particular fish, she must have been resting in the bottom, maybe behind the structure, and saw it and came up and grabbed it. So but you didn't see her before you she took it, right? You, I thought you said you, you thought she saw did, you first. I huh? did. That, like, she came up and bit at it and then let it drop, and then she took the whole thing. So sometimes when you Absolutely. think it's over and they've already tried to bite it, give them a second chance, and sometimes they'll take it a second time. Do you have different retrieve styles? I mean, you talked about a little fast or slow. Do you pause? Do you yeah. Want, describe your retrieves. Is it, are you pulling in six inches? Are you pulling in three feet when you retrieve? What tell us in detail. <laughs> It just, it depends. Sometimes yeah, it I'll, depends, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll strip really fast, probably pulling through maybe six to ten inches of line. And then other times I'll do it 
slow and let it drop and then the bait fish is dying, rise and fall. And that's one good thing about an articulated streamer. You can bring it to life better and give it more character. If it's got a hook wiggling in the back, then you can do a lot more with it. Okay, okay. So you're just kind of, if you've been working one style for a while, you no action, you just switch it up to a little bit different and you're constantly yep. moving it around, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. just trying different things. So sometimes um, I think they don't feel like chasing it and they get lazy. And are you trying to get that fly as close to the bottom as possible in most cases? Sometimes, I mean, depending on depth. And sometimes when I see them biting the top water or something, I'll strip faster, more on top, and then other times when it's really quiet, I think maybe they're down lower, so I'll let it sink more. Do you, when you think about the browns and their feeding styles, it sounds like you're describing fish that are somewhat, some are in the ambush mode, but, but others are doing a bit of cruising. Is that the case? Yeah, sometimes I think they're lazy. <laughs> and they just, they okay. want the it's a float bomb, and then they'll go get it. But at times you see them in the upper part of the water column cruising, so to speak? or Yeah, like like they're hunting or something. Okay. Rick Scott in Tennessee asked, are there certain spots along the bank that are more prone to holding fish? I think they love structure. They love to hide and rest behind rocks and big branches and logs and stuff. And I'll look for that. I'll look for... Trees, trees and rocks mostly, and I'll try to cast and land it as close to that as possible without getting hung up. And uh, that's where the practice comes in, just getting it close to the bank as possible and uh, luring them out. And then, I mean, other times they might be in the middle of the river behind something, and you can lure them that way too. But mm, okay. passing towards the banks is, I think, key. Yeah, and that's where you had most of your successes is fishing off the bank more than in the river. And when you say yeah. in, the, in the middle of the river, you're talking about like rocks or yeah, yeah, or stuck logs or something like that as well. You're still looking for some kind of structure for them to hide right. behind or under. And they yeah. love like yeah. ledges. That's we have a lot of ledges around these rivers, and they really they like to get between ledges and rest and hide that way, waiting for stuff to come by. Okay, okay. Okay, this is a question from Allard in Calgary, Alberta. He says, do you find browns are more likely to take streamers that are moved like wounded bait fish, swung through the current, or stripped like fleeing terrified fish? Yeah, it's just, like I said earlier, I'll try to, I give my streamers personality, I guess, by making them twitch me mm-hmm. certain ways. And like that one I was talking about earlier where she came up and grabbed it, saying that she had stunned it because she bit it the first time, and then I let it fall. She probably thought it was wounded and took it. And uh, Yeah. Other times I think they're the faster you strip them, then they see that they're fleeing from them, so they'll go chase them. I think that's yeah. just the fun of it is to play with it that way and figure out what lures them out best. We need to take another quick break here, Christy, so hang tight, and uh, we'll be right back, and we'll finish up talking about okay. uh, large brown trout and streamers. Be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish in their habitats like Peacock Bass Study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all types of fish and to preserve and promote the uh, fly casting and fly tying and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the support of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Christy McReynolds about fly fishing for monster browns on streamers. If you'd like to ask a question, go to our website 
AskAboutFlyFishing.com. Fill out that form on our homepage, and we'll see if we can get your question answered. I'm looking at some of them here on the Internet. Oh, here's one. Uh, Phil McCartney wrote in from uh, Kentucky. He says, please tell us about the most unexpected big brown you caught where the fish was not where you expected or otherwise was the exception that proves the rule. Any big ones that you caught that you didn't expect to? They're all a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) They're all a surprise, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm ecstatic when I get any of them, but yeah. Yeah. I think the one I was talking about where she took it on a dead drift, That was probably yeah. the most surprised I've ever been because yeah. I usually don't see them when I catch them. So that was the first time that I really saw her take it. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, that sounds like a good one, yeah. And um, then another surprise is, like, I'll be fishing for stripers, and then I get a trout. Like, I just I have my mindset on, like, one species, and I end up with something else. So yeah. that's always a thrill. That's another question Phil had here. He says, in Kentucky, there are places where big striped bass try to take the hooked trout away from the fishermen before they can land the trout. Have you run into that? I've heard about it, but I haven't experienced it. You haven't had that happen yet, yeah. yeah. Not yet, no. <laughs> uh, okay. I've got some questions coming in about stripers and patterns for stripers. Do you fish stripers similarly to how you're fishing the browns, or is that a whole nother, another technique? It's the same. Same, okay. Yeah. You use a lot of the same flies? Yep. Yeah, because they're yeah, after the same bait the, fish. Yeah. yeah, the shad patterns. I mean, it happened not too long ago. I was fishing for striper, and I caught my biggest trout of a lifetime. Really? Yeah. So I thought it was a striper, well, but it wasn't. <laughs> it was a brown? Yeah, it was a 32-inch brown, so I was, oh, wow. I was pretty excited, yeah. Now, are the stripers seasonal where you're at, where they're just running at certain times of the year? Yeah, certain times. They usually come up out of the lake in the spring, and then they'll stay till about October and then go back. They're chasing oh, okay. the shads. Okay. Okay, I've covered everything that's come in there the internet let me just check one more time yeah john she just mentioned when the seasonality of the stripers came in we just covered that for you asking about stripers oh uh, here's a question from phil is there a big brown trout that you've seen in a particular area several times but have been unable to catch yep (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah like i there was one spot on the soho that i always saw this gigantic trout and I called him, I nicknamed him Megalodon because I was like, there he is. And he was smart. He would chase it so far and then quit. <laughs> but yeah, I always tried to get him, but I never did get him. I don't know where he went. <laughs> you never did but, yeah. get him, huh? Okay. No, I okay. didn't get him. Okay. Silas Gray from Missouri wrote in. He says, do you ever use two streamers at once? I have. It's very hard to cast. It's you got to pay attention. But, yeah, I have used two streamers at a time, and I've had success. Usually I'll do two different colors, and, two, the, of course, the, the lighter streamer will be smaller. Then if I'm having a frustrating day, I can figure out exactly what they're biting, what color, what mm-hmm. size. That's what I use that for. But I don't like to fish that way constantly because it's very difficult. Yeah, a lot of work, yeah. Yeah. Any tips you can give on setting the hook and fighting the fish once you get them on, these big guys and gals? <laughs> Keep your lines tight. I've noticed I've lost many fish not paying attention. I don't, like, hook set and jerk their jaw. Like, don't do that. I just I let them like hook themselves. Like a strip themselves. set? Yeah I, yeah, I just let them. Once they're on there, I just try to keep my line tight, but I don't jerk. And uh, get them in as quick as possible. Yeah, the yeah, I know the salt. We always talk about a strip strike hook set, but right. we're dealing with fish that have pretty hard jaws that yeah. you're trying to penetrate. Whereas, whereas the trout don't have that hard a jaw, I guess that you need to do Which that I kind have, of thing. I have like caught a walleye as well on a streamer, and they have pretty hard jaws and teeth and everything. But from what I've experienced, I haven't had to really jerk and hook set them either. I just, I think key is just keeping the line top, yeah. ribbing it in quickly. Did you catch 
the walleye on purpose on the fly, or was that a bycatch looking for trout? Yeah, I was fishing for trout, and I caught a 33-inch walleye one time on a stranger. So. <laughs> <laughs> one of so your that unlucky was, that days. That was a surprise. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a pretty nice walleye, and uh, yeah, yeah, but he was unexpected. So yeah, that um, was another surprise. This Mike in Ontario wrote in. I'll, I'll read this, see if you can make sense of it. He says, "I'm a big brown trout guy, and I try to fish for them when I can. Sometimes I use nymphs to find them, and then throw the meat. <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> I find single hooks, especially sculpin patterns, are the best. What's your take on this?" and I'm not sure if I understand his technique here of using nymphs to find them and then throw them the meat. I'm assuming the meat to the, the streamers, but have you ever heard of that technique? No, but whatever works, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'll throw in the meat first um, and see what happens. Yeah, that's what you do, right? Uh, just yeah. Just <laughs> meat. Uh, yeah. yeah. Jerry, and I don't know what he's after here, in Lexington, Kentucky, says, how do your guides feel about clients wanting to try their own flies during some part of a guided float? Are you usually supplying your clients with your flies? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if they want to tie their own, that's great. Yeah, you so. don't have a problem. Yeah, because I know some guides around the country, it's like, oh, I don't want... So you open your box and say, oh, no, let's try mine, because they know they're successful with them. Right. I think that's why some guides do that. But Earl, this is a miscellaneous question too. Earl Waters in Florida. He says, from a photographer's perspective, are these fish dependable and showing themselves rising to the surface, feeding enough to get good quality photographs? And is the water clear where you're fishing these big browns? So do you see a lot of uh, surface activity in the pools and so forth there? Yeah. Yeah, usually when there's hatches going on and stuff, you'll see them around, and there's plenty of opportunities to photograph fish and nature and stuff like that around here. It's you, lots um, to photograph. Now, when there's a hatch going on, do you switch over to dries or emergers and so forth, or do you stick with your streamers? I stick with the streamers. <laughs> <laughs> you stick I'm with the streamers? With, <laughs> yeah, I've tried with thing and dry flies and stuff, and I just get bored with it I guess and it's the streamers it seems to be you're more hands on and in there so it just it keeps me focused on what I'm doing I just prefer yeah. streamers over the others that's a lot that's good exercise that <laughs> it's a lot yeah, of work it is. Streamers. yeah yeah that's what that's part of your therapy anyway so it's good right. for you I take it yeah yeah what any other thoughts you have on going after these big browns what have you seen any mistakes that a lot of clients make when they're trying to fish streamers? Any tips um, on what not to do? I guess, like, don't get frustrated, which I do myself, especially when Can you're... Can you repeat that? You, you kind of broke up there. I'm sorry. Don't get frustrated is, okay. I think, the biggest key, especially when you're looking for the big one. It's easy to get frustrated because you're filtering out the little stuff. So you're not going to catch a lot with a big streamer. And it's more, I guess, selective fishing. So it's really easy to get frustrated when you don't catch a lot of fish. And But it's rewarding when you do catch it, that one big one. You're just like, wow, it was all worth it. Yeah. Patience yeah. is key. Yeah. it's You always have to remember it's not it's not quantity, right? It's, it's the right. quality. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and those things come easy. Yeah. And then just serenity of just being outside and away from it all. And I think that's another thing that people forget. They get so focused on catching that fish, they forget to look at the nature and breathe the air. And you can see wildlife along the riverbanks. And we have eagles here. And there's just it's just relaxing, just having the opportunity to fish the Watauga and South Holston is just amazing, amazing place yeah, to fish. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like it. We did have a couple of questions and people wanting to know what the 32-inch brown ate, what kind of fly, and also um, which one the walleye, <laughs> and what the walleye took. The walleye took like a, it's called a sushi pattern. It was like a copper golden color and tan. It took, that's what that one took. And then the 32 brown took, I was fishing for striper, so it took a shad pattern, 
that was probably about four and a half, five inches long. So that's what he took. Yeah, good size fly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. Let's wrap things up here and stick with me here because we're going to give away some prizes, Christy. And so stick with me. And when I get back here, we're going to do a one-year subscription to Fly Fishers International and give away a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And then also we're going to give away a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. We'll do just that in just a moment. Do you travel to fish? Medical and security emergencies happen. When they do, you can rely on Global Rescue, the world's leading membership organization providing integrated medical, security, travel risk, and crisis response services to travelers worldwide. Without a Global Rescue membership, an emergency evacuation could cost you more than $100,000. That's why over 1 million members trust Global Rescue to get them home when the worst happens. Don't travel without Global Rescue. Memberships start at just $129. Learn more about Global Rescue's program. Just click on the Global Rescue icon in the footer of our website, Ask About Fly Fishing, and you can learn more there. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave our website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage and section under tonight's show that says, What did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away some prizes. The winners of our drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show so you don't miss out on your chance to win some of these great prizes that we have. If you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show to provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So first, I will be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org, flyfishersinternational.org. Dot org. And let me fire up my database here, and it is going to be Howard Sant, Howard Sant in Utah. So congratulations, Howard, on winning your membership to Fly Fishers International. I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. And now we'll give away a one-year membership or one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And you can learn more about that at amatobooks.com, another great publisher of books and periodicals on fly fishing. And our winner for that is Arthur Veens, Arthur Veens in New Hampshire. So congratulations, Arthur. And I'm sure you'll enjoy that as well. So now we'll give away a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. I have a list of books here that I can give away from Stackpole. And so if you win tonight, I will send you that list, and you can pick something from that list, and we'll ship it right out to you. Question, let's see here. Let's see if this might be too hard, but let's give this a try. Name two of the bait fish. Name two of the bait fish that Christy talked about tonight that reside in the South Holston and the Watuga there that she fishes. Two of the bait fish names. And one should be easy. Let me see what we got here. And I'm checking the checking the queue here. Sometimes it takes a little while. Okay, we've got one. I actually gave us three. He says, Chad, Sculpin, and Trout. Does that win for us there, Christy? Yep. Yeah? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a winner. All right, so John... Laros, Bluff City. John, you just got yourself a book from Stackable Books. What you need to do, John, is I've got your email and your name here. In the same form that you filled out, send me your address, and then I'll send you out a, an email with a list of books, and we'll get you taken care of. That's how we'll work that. All righty. Congratulations, John, on winning that. Thanks for paying attention and playing, and I know you'll enjoy the book from Stackpole. Sorry, I'm losing my throat's going on me, Christy. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> but we're near the end, so no problem. Hey, I appreciate you being on the show tonight, and it's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for sharing your knowledge about going after big browns, and I hope people come out visit you guys. Go after some of those. Yeah. Uh, yes, I hope like so. Come be- on. Yeah, some beautiful fish out there. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. You're welcome. Hopefully, you all have found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look on the link on the top line menu. In the archive, you'll find all of our past shows, over 360 shows. 
you can search by keyword or keyword phrase like trout, tarpon, Madison River, brown trout, that kind of thing. So go ahead and explore, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you find there. Our next broadcast will be on September 7th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, I'm going to interview Dave Albaugh, and our topic for the show will be wet fly magic. Dave, a professional guide in Pennsylvania, has spent the last 30 years on both the stream and at his vice perfecting his wet fly fishing techniques and flies. His methods are effective throughout the year, and he takes great pride in teaching his clients the lost art of fly fishing. Join us and learn Dave's secrets to wet fly fishing. And uh, be sure to just add this to your calendar, this upcoming show. On our homepage, right below Dave's picture is the Add to Calendar button there. Just do that, add it to your calendar, and then you'll be reminded to be there for the live show. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Enrico Puglisi Flies, Global Rescue, and for sponsoring our show today. And uh, don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.